Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this episode is called The Big Debate. We've been seeing a debate unfold in the headlines and crystal balls on the future of work and the role of the office for some time now. I decided to invite Sandra Panera and Robert Kenward to engage with me in respectful discourse on this topic because I know they both have informed yet differing perspectives. Over the next half hour, they duel it out and we cover a lot of ground. Should not being in the office be an excuse for not building relationships? Will society fall back on tradition because that's what's worked in the past? Or will we move forward because what worked before COVID won't work now? We discussed the challenges to managing virtual teams and how technology can help with this. But perhaps the biggest question is around company culture. Will the office continue to be central to creating culture going forward? We talk about the pros and cons such as the feeling of forced cultures and how companies and talent should be aligning on shared values. Is establishing and maintaining culture more about proximity or is it about curating an environment where people feel they belong? As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you will cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thank you to both Sandra and Robert for agreeing to debate this topic with open minds. We need more of this in everyday society. We don't have to agree on everything, but dialogue and listening are key to understanding. So thank you for being the professionals that you are. Jeff, let's get ready to rumble. Or should I say, Jeff? Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Welcome back to the Workbook Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. And today, I'm joined by two professionals focused on the future of work to debate how flexible working will affect companies' recruitment and retention strategies and what impact or not this may have on the office. Joining me today is Sandra Panera. Director of Workplace Insights for Relogix. Relogix helps companies transform the experience of work using data to inform workplace professionals on space utilization and employee engagement as they transform offices for hybrid working. Sandra has both a deep and wide understanding of corporate real estate and technology with over 25 years hands-on experience, and she applies non-traditional approaches to extract deep learning from the most unsuspecting places in order to drive strategy. She likes to challenge the status quo to provoke and encourage new ways of thinking to innovate and to improve. Sandra believes square pegs can fit into round holes and that the real misfits are those environments that fail to adapt. Her expertise ranges broadly from corporate real estate portfolio research, analytics and insights, workforce planning, space and occupancy planning, and workplace strategy. Today, she's connecting from her home office in Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the Workbook Podcast, Sandra. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me today. Bringing a slightly different perspective is Robert Kenward, Chief Talent Officer and Co-Founder at U-Search and Select, a talent acquisition firm for the events industry. I've said many times before that we're seeing the hospitality and commercial real estate industries colliding. And if we think about the events industry, there's a parallel with the office as hybrid becomes a key word for both. Robert has over 20 years experience in the recruitment and event sectors and brings a unique perspective of hiring from all angles as a candidate, a client, and a recruiter. He brings an honest and pragmatic approach to recruitment, matching the personal and career aspirations of candidates to a company's business growth plans. One of the things I really admire about Robert is throughout the lockdowns, he's opened up his diary to the events industry and he's held over 300 pro bono one-to-one sessions with people who found themselves newly jobless or searching for advice and support. 
in 2020, he launched The Hub, a global industry-specific people and jobs board to help people in the events industry find work and for employers and recruiters to find the right industry-specific talent. We'll put a link to that website in the show notes below. Robert is joining us from Brighton, England today. Welcome to the Workbook Podcast, Robert. Hey, Jared. Hey, Sandra. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I'm really excited to have you both. I've gotten to know you, Robert, over the last couple of years, Sandra, over the last couple of years as well, but mostly on social media. And before we get started here, I want to set the stage for this debate. I'm going to bring up once again, the estate agent here in the UK who was just awarded £185,000 in a wrongful discrimination suit after she had requested a slight change in the start and end times for her work schedule to accommodate her childcare responsibilities after having a baby. Now, this may be an extreme example, so I don't want to necessarily focus on the details of this particular case, but as many of us have gotten used to working differently over the last two years and want to continue our new and improved work-life balance or blend, I'm curious to hear each of your perspectives. So I'm going to come to you first, Robert. Is flexible working really the future of work? I think we've all learned different words as we've gone through this. And I think somewhere along the way that the term flexible, the term remote, the term blend, the term hybrid have gelled together. And I think for me, I I think the future is the hybrid working and and hybrid for me is a mix of what the employer needs and also what candidates need. So I think it's absolutely blatantly obvious that moving forward, Monday to Friday, nine to five, unless you're a doctor or something like that, but Monday to Friday, nine to five is gone, is dead. And I think that's a wonderful thing that should be celebrated about 10 years overdue. But yeah, I think definitely that sort of hybrid model for me is the way of the future. Thank you, Sandra. Same question. Is flexible working really the future of work? I concur with Robert. I actually think it's the reality of work, past, present, and future. In the past, no one really worked in the office five days a week, eight hours a day, 52 weeks a year. We typically saw 70, 75% of people in the office at any given time. So you never were anywhere near 100% occupancy. While some of those absences was paid time off, surveys that were often conducted in the past indicated that people were working either from a client or vendor site, they were traveling for business, or in some cases, albeit in a very small percentage, um, they were working from home. And then obviously you had the people that had to leave work earlier, come in later because of appointments or just personal things that they had to do. So yeah, I think that flexible working has always existed. It's never been formalized and as widely enjoyed, if you will, by people as much as it has been in the last two years because of the pandemic. Certainly the pandemic has forced everyone to work remotely the past almost two years now. And that word remote, which Robert said gets blended in with quite a few other words, is often misconstrued and people think that remote employees are not fully engaged. Other people think the people that are working outside of the office, they might get passed up for raises. But then there's other companies like Twitter who are actively focusing on letting people choose where they work and call it hybrid or flexible, but they're using it as a talent attraction tool, a retention tool, and to compete with other companies that are going after the same talent. Robert, you're a recruiter. What are your thoughts on flexible working or hybrid working as a talent acquisition tool? Yeah, I think just say, sort of following on what Sandra said, it's, it's not a new thing anymore. It's absolutely standard. We're a bit different here in the UK, Sandra, in that we are very much a nine to five office-based environment, apart from the obvious all the things you mentioned there, but we are very much an office space. And I think it is part of talent attraction and you mentioned Twitter there, but I think what you'll start to see is that this sort of as a talent attraction, it needs boundaries. It does need to be a mix of the individual job seeker 
but also the business, because this will start to bite us on the arse. And we're seeing this already when you mentioned Twitter and already people are talking about salaries at Twitter. If you're working from home or in a different area, we're going to cut your salary. So people have to realize that it can't all be one way. You can't just expect, expect there is going to be a trade-off and you can only so much be individual with your employers and you've got a business to run. So I think it does need boundaries. I think that will be, we'll see that. And we're starting to see that at the moment with working patterns, but hundred percent, you know, if you're not, not offering flexible working, then you will lose talent. And Sandra, just your point, honestly, last year or year before, sorry, pre COVID, if you'd have said to a potential employer, oh, I'd like one day off a week to work from home, you would not have got a bending further in the UK. Trust me, it would have been. Thanks for your time, but we'll find someone else. Honestly, it's that level over here. Sandra, when it comes to boundaries, is that something that we're going to see more companies putting up coming out of this pandemic, or are they going to expect those boundaries to be chosen and put up by their team members? Yeah, I believe, and this has always been the case, is that flexible working is a personal choice. I know I can speak from personal experience throughout my entire career. I started working flexibly back in the 90s. And every job that I have taken since, that was something that I went into the interview with. So even though they weren't offering it, I would broach the subject in the interview. And so I think... It's in the past, it was one of those things that was trying to find the diamond in the rough that not everybody was offering it. And so it was very hard to find. I think now the reality is that we're hearing that not everybody wants to work from home, but I think having the choice opens up the door for consideration for opportunities that maybe were not on our radar before. I've had just, for example, in the past year and a half, opportunities from the U.S. knock on my door for large organizations that I would have never had an opportunity to consider before. And so it makes you think about how much more opportunity might be unfair when suddenly you're not restricted based on geography. Well, that's an interesting point too. And and I think it's important at this stage to point out that as Robert said earlier, this isn't for every single employee. We're not talking about every single person that works in the population because there are quite many jobs that don't have the privilege and the ability to work from anywhere, so to speak. But for those who do in this, in the knowledge-based economy, if we're removing the geography as a boundary, then what sort of problems or opportunities does that bring up? And if you are living in Canada and working for a U.S.-based company, how do you see that working for your companies that you work for and support, Robert? I think it's very different in the event sector and experiential where we've spent the last 18 months telling people to meet face to face. We've spent the last 18 months saying to people, we're a sector, we're here, we're useful. You know, people should be face to face. Lots of negativity about virtual being the future of events. We talk about culture, people, you've got to meet face to face. Therefore, I think there'll be a struggle in the sort of more creative agencies to then turn around and say, people are our greatest asset, but we don't ever see them. I think we're a little bit different in the UK as well in that the tech isn't being as widely used as it could be. But I'll tell you one biggest problem, and I'm I'm specifically, Sandra, talking about the events experiential sector, obviously, is there's a lot of leaders, but the managing of this is really tough for people here because the creative space is very much, you know, spontaneity and ideation and five-minute chats here and there where things explode. And people aren't used to managing disparate workforces 
And that is going to be a really tough thing. I think on the other side, and you mentioned it there, uh, I live in Brighton, 75, 80% of my placements over the last five years have been in London because London is, you know, where people want to work or salaries are better or so-called, you know, the agencies have this sort of aura of we're amazing because we're in London. I mean, obviously it's complete horseshit. The whole of the UK is a very creative place, but now suddenly you can live in Reading and you can live in Scotland. You can live all around the country and work for these places. But I am already seeing companies starting to put in boundaries about even the word compulsory you know i'm hearing that as well and it will i just for our sector it won't work from both a management tech and um, workflow when we think about the technology side we've seen that technology has been evolving and so the management issues that robert that you point out around people not being able to manage disparate teams or just this whole hybrid thing that we're talking about that, again, it's just been renamed to hybrid now because, as I said, it's, it's been in existence for a while. What's fascinating to me is that the technology has been evolving for many years, enabling people to work differently, but yet management training has lagged, right? So management still managing based on old school thinking that you have to be in the office because that makes managing people easier. And so there is a disconnect, but the disconnect I think is more around how management approaches their ability to manage people, which I think is what's driving this discussion around whether people should be in the office, whether they should be allowed flexibility or not, because they have always struggled with management. I mean, you know, I started in workplace strategy back in the early 2000s officially, and every single time there was surveys that were conducted within organizations, that was always the pushback because that management just struggled with how do you manage virtual teams, you know, their lack of knowledge as it relates to using technology or just not having the skill set to be able to do that. Fast forward to, you know, 2021, and we're still talking about the same things, and yet the technology has continued to evolve. So that's fascinating to me because, as I said, it's not like technology has suddenly come out of nowhere because of the pandemic. It's always been there, but I think management has taken it for granted that people were always going to be working in the office. And that clearly has has changed. I think that also links into the culture, though, I think, Sandra. I think what, what you find with virtual culture is it can become a bit forced. We're going to have spontaneous fun at three o'clock on a Friday rather than pop in and see this or come for a beer. You know, obviously the UK, the pub is part of work as much as it is life. And especially the events and experiential industry, a lot of the, the work, the ideation comes from what do you think of this? Pop into this meeting. And I think people are starting to feel forced. I've got so many bloody cocktail making kits that I'll never use, or I've seen all of this stuff that it's like, it's almost worse trying to force culture virtually than it is just going, do you know what? We're going to be in the office every Friday. Come in if you want, or don't come in. You know, that that's the thing I think managers try to do is is set up a routine to keep this culture. I think that can actually be detrimental. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I, I think that there's definitely something to be said about company culture. Uh, I too wonder if it's attributed to proximity or really it's just sharing in the value feelings like that you belong. So, and that actually active nurturing to build and to maintain. And I, I agree, like I think the forced aspect of trying to maintain culture, the way in which it's done, specifically from the HR side, it's like that raw team camaraderie thing, doesn't work well 
virtually. It's very different when after work you go for a drink or you go for dinner or you go for lunch and there's more of that social aspect. You can't replicate that sort of experience online. And it does feel very forced when, you know, they're basically asking you to participate where you get a lot of people that just are not really interested in that. I think the other thing too, that companies have relied on the design of the office to tell the culture story, which hasn't always represented the reality of the workplace. And companies now who are seeing that Perhaps the office isn't going to be as central as it has been in the past from a cultural perspective, have to actually nurture the culture within their organization. And that's, I think, part of the challenge is figuring out how to do it and what is the culture that they're trying to nurture. Well, that's interesting to talk about it that way. You also mentioned proximity earlier, and I'm just wondering if proximity is a distance thing or is that an accessibility thing? Because my team is, we're all across the country, but we're able to access people as and when we need to. And if we really meet in person, we can. But I think said earlier that really was profound, in my opinion, is getting the values and aligning people with the values of the culture and the company. And I believe this might be a little bit dreamy, but I believe in the future, companies need to be more authentic in what impact they're trying to make on the world and then go out and recruit people that are aligned with making that difference as well. Having said all that, I tweeted something out the other day that, Robert, you slapped me around on social media a little bit, but it's okay. Uh, I still love you. Uh, That's what Britishness. You you, you forget the British um, cheek, the uh, the humor. You know, all of it's done with love. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done this, would I? (laughs) Exactly. In that tweet, I said not being in the office shouldn't be an excuse for not building relationships. And I would maybe even extend that to not having a good culture. So is not being in the office every day a good excuse for not having a good culture? It's not an excuse, but it will absolutely impact it. No, I will die on the hill that the culture of an organization will differ if you have a disparate workforce that hardly meets up or is forced to meet up. And I think also that's not just the social aspect. And I know we're getting a bit off topic here, but I met my wife at work 20 years ago. You know, the whole mental health aspect of it, which would have impacted your culture as well. People are sat at home nine to, or you know, whatever times without having that interaction. That's quite a hard thing to do, especially in the UK and our industry, as you know, the demographic being quite different on the age side of things. You have a lot of people that are stuck at home on a kitchen table or don't have an office space, aren't lucky enough or can afford an office space. That is all going to affect culture. So I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's something that you need to work on. And I think it's a really tough subject, which is why I think a lot of people are already starting talking about, let's do two or three days in the office, two or three days at home, because they don't know how to approach it. And usually is when people get scared about something, they either run away or they come up with an excuse or they come up with an idea that actually works. And so far, I've, I've not seen it. I've honestly not seen it. So Robert, sticking with you then, do you have an opinion? How many days in the office is right? I'm a big fan of merging the individual needs with the business. I think businesses can do a cost analysis on what they need. And and I think we'll move to a project week rather than a day week, but that's a whole different thing. But I think a real easy thing that I'm starting to see is actually agencies saying, and agencies as in live event experiential agencies, they're saying, we're going to have one day compulsory. And I know that's a scary word, but I also think people need it. I think they need that boundary. We're going to have a day in the office where we want you and need you all to come into the office and it'll be this day. Outside of that, work how you want, we're all the flexible working stuff we've all talked about. But I think most people will end up with a flex of two to three in the office, two to three at home. I think that'll be really tough to manage. And, and talking of Sandra's thing, I, I, I worked for a very large global travel meetings and events agency and I had a team of 22 and they were all doing the odd day here and there. 
I, there was no way of me knowing where or where there was nothing with plate to support me as their line manager. So actually it was put on me a lot of, I don't know where, what the workflow looks like because I didn't have access to it. So I think companies will end up saying, this is what we offer because you, you cannot. And I think this is where it started from Caleb. You cannot. And again, I, I, I just can't believe that people have this conversation. You cannot say to potential employees. Hey, you just tell us when you want to work. You just decide what you want to do. It's all, yeah, it's fine. That's just, that's, that's utopia going into chaos. And I think that's where we started talking about this lady saying, I want this and she didn't get it. And that was the end of that sort of thing. There has to be a mix. Flexible is two way and the employer has to have a say in it. Sandra, you have anything to say about that or what's your view on this? So with respect to how many of these in the offices, right? I think that the point that Robert makes is you just don't know how it's going to work. There's a, a lot of reliance on tradition because that's all that people know. So when people don't know how it's going to work, you're going to fall back on how things work. I think the problem is that any kind of mandated number of days, so even if it's one day a week, if you think about it purely from a corporate real estate point of view, you're now creating a sort of a demand one day of the week where you're going to have people, let's say you have a thousand employees or 500 employees, all come in one day out of that week. And then the remaining four days of the week, that office is going to sit probably fairly empty. And so that is very inefficient when it comes to how you're actually using your real estate. And so from a people perspective, while well, that might make sense because there's a team warming aspect and all of that stuff, that's great. But it's from a cost perspective, that costs the company a lot of money to say, hey, everybody has to come in at least one day a week. I think the other thing too is, is people, in my opinion, people don't achieve great things on command. I think people or companies actually need to trust their employees more so that they will make the right decision to do the right thing for the success of their team and just let the teams figure it out. I think the other part too is that, Robert, you were talking about not being able to know where where people were and if you're a manager or even from a team perspective, you want to know where your teammates are. 10, 15 years ago, yeah, that was a problem because you, the only tool that you had access to probably to do that was Outlook or you were trying to sort of use email or something to figure out where your team members were. But today there's so much more technology available to actually enable that type of communication. But again, it just doesn't warrant returning back to what was because there is the opportunity to move forward. hundred percent. I'm from an era, I, tech to me is part of it. But I think th this is one of the things, and we talked, I talked about this to someone else the other day about, look, we have to recognize that the people that are in employed now, we can't just keep talking about a certain demographic, look, get tech, that are really happy with it, that are happy to work. You, you have to realize both from an age, a generation, people with, people without families. There's a whole thing out there. It's not just everybody's that, yeah, I'll just pop on Trello or I'll, I'll give them a tap here. There's a lot of people in our industry. And again, just again, I can only talk about the industry that I recruit into. There's a lot of people that depend on that interaction for their work. And I'll tell you one thing, you said about letting teams figure it out. We, and again, it makes us sound like we're in the stone ages, Sandra, but we had a thing, God, what was it? Three years ago, maybe where unlimited holidays became a, that was the new sexy thing. Oh, we're going to offer unlimited holidays. And everybody trumpeted about it. Everybody went on social and said how amazing it was. And it absolutely died a death in the UK. It died a death because people were scared to take it. People didn't understand. Um, it created divisions because those that did take unlimited holidays were seen differently to the, it created more hassle. I'm not saying employees are drones or that managers are dumb or anything, but you do need to have some semblance of 
this is normality. I think otherwise it will fall apart. And we've, I think we've seen that already with some of the initiatives that people try to come out with, in my personal opinion, because they like to make a splash on social, Twitter being a great one, and then they'll backtrack on it and they're already backtracking on it now. Quietly, they won't make a splash out of that because in the real world, it would only work for a very small demographic. And that demographic is not a snapshot of their employee workforce. When it comes to relationship building, I think relationship building is needs-driven. We build relationships for a variety of reasons. The office, I think, has little influence on relationship building when you have technology tools to enable you to do that in the absence of being in the same location at the same time. Again, I think it depends on what you value as an individual. I think the difference is that before, we didn't have a choice. Now, with choice, everyone's experience is going to be different, including those that are pro-office, because the people that they used to interact with uh, before on a daily basis might now be working away from the office. If we think about it, if the relationship is valuable and necessary, they're going to have to figure out a way to continue to maintain it because their success might just ultimately depend on it. I think that's an interesting thing on relationships though, because I know, you know, I mentioned about meeting my wife at work. There is the personal relationship side as well. And I know that might sound a bit sad. We spend so much time with our work colleagues. I'd love to look at a salary of people that, you know, have ended up marrying work colleagues or have children with work colleagues and things like that. And you look away from that. And I'm not saying go to work to meet someone, but there's so much social interaction which is good for you personally and professionally. I think about all of the things I learned from my seniors, my peers, people that have been in that, I picked up so much knowledge just from being around them, just from being in the same room as them. That That's not going to happen. You're not going to get that. You're not going to say, hey, Sandra, can I borrow you for five minutes and just run through some Q&A? Yeah, put a Zoom in and we'll have an agenda. It's just not going to happen rather than, Sandra, can you help me with this? Actually, let me point you in the right direction. You learn via that interaction. And honestly, I know it's different for you, Sandra, I completely get that. Our industry, the events and experiential, we talk about culture, values, face-to-face interaction. So it's just an industry full of people that like meeting each other, you know, and that's a big part of it, both personal and professional. So there's a lot of parallels here. And I think there's a lot of people that want people to come back face-to-face. And me, as someone who sells office space for a living as well, maybe I should be yelling for people to come back to the office too. But I feel like the last 18 months, virtual has saved a lot of people in the events industry because of these virtual events. I'm going to move the conversation forward to the next uh, this next phase here. But, but before I do, you both said that you see companies not requiring everybody to be in the office every single day. And the frequency of that might be different for every company. But I think we all agree the value that can be extracted from an office, the, the reasons we should be face-to-face, the questions that we all have and what changes for everyone is how often that should be. So in this next couple of questions, I want to discuss maybe how companies should decide on their office footprint if everyone's not going to be in there every single day. Sandra, I want to turn to you first because I know you guys have technology that's looking at this. You're helping companies make these decisions on a daily basis. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Well, right now, I think it's a little too early to tell what the final outcome is going to be. Companies are currently back in the office anywhere between 30 and 50%, depending on where uh, they're located. But obviously, it's nowhere near what they were seeing before the pandemic and likely won't be for a while. If they have a ton of space, 
we strongly suggest that now's the time to really sort of experiment, learn about how people are using their space. So some of the things that they can do is look to hibernating floors. So basically putting floors offline that essentially reduces the space, which allows them then to test out the impact on space supply and demand with flexible work. So they can use the time right now to study, observe, get the feedback on what works, what doesn't work, and then use that information to inform those long-term needs. As they think about lease renewals, how much space do they need? That's one way to approach it. And many companies are, are doing this. On the flip side of that, if you have leases that are coming due soon, it's probably safe to say that you can let those leases lapse as there are other options available to support demand for space that's not necessarily tied to a long-term commitment. So that will give companies a time to really understand what demand looks like so that they can make better decisions that better suit their needs long-term. So things like, are people using co-working space and really understanding these other types of spaces that are available to employees on demand where they may not be in the office every single day, but occasionally they do need a space either to meet with colleagues or, or whatever. So that's the thing is that it's not necessarily maintaining the space unless you're locked into a lease and you really don't have an option. Then it's use the time to learn the, the space and learn how people interact with the space. And if you do have those leases that are coming due, then, you know, again, use the time to experiment with using these third places and see how people interact with those spaces and whether it can work with your organization before you recommit to a longer term lease if you feel that's better suited to your your needs. I want to turn to you, Robert, on, on this next part of the question, because you said earlier that you see the word compulsory coming in for maybe one day a week in some cases. And so if talent expectations for flexible working continues to grow and companies are starting to use their offices only require people to only come in one day a week, do you expect this to affect the size of their offices going forward? I, I think the compulsory thing for me, I, I probably didn't make it clear earlier, that's for those sort of circa 20 and under agencies, 20, 30 and under heads, a much smaller, more tighter knit where probably one person's doing two or three roles anyway, so there's a lot more interaction. I think it would gently be that two or three days here, two or three days there. Now, as, as I've said to you previously, I am not obviously a, an office specialist, I no point, but the bit I can't work out about when people saying you don't need the office is if you've got people coming in two or three days and the other two or three days, you're still going to need the same space. You can't say oh, we won't have it on a Friday because you don't know who's going to be there. But for me, if the space isn't being full and Sandra picking up on what you said, I, I think this is a chance for people to play with the space they've got. It's make it not all about work. I still see people putting adverts, you know, we've got bean bags and a foosball table or something as if that's a talent acquisition. There. But I, I really see things like breakout areas where if you go on floor two, that's a do not disturb floor or something like that. I've seen sensory rooms now and sleep pods. 18 months ago, we were talking about sleep pods with a client and people would literally laugh in your face. There's an area someone could sleep. Now, these are the sort of things, social aspects coming in. Obviously, the larger ones have the cafes and the pubs and that, but there's something to be done with the space where those people that want to integrate, but don't actually want to be in an office, if you, if you see what I mean. So you're coming into work, but you're not coming into the four walls with those pictures on the wall that say passion. And tell it, you know, in a picture of a whale tail or something like that. Uh, 
I think that to me is what the office space will become. It will become a space to work rather than an office. It'll become an experience. Exactly. And, and especially, I think if you look at these companies now, especially the larger ones, there are going to be a lot of people that will still be worried about coming in, never mind for the working aspect because of the health aspect. In the UK, there's still a lot of people still nervous about going in actually from a health, you know, so it's, it's not about attracting people in like, oh, we've got things, please come in. It's about saying to someone, this is a safe space. This is an area for you to feel comfortable to work and then go home. Because I still think there's that thing about people working at home, do more work. There's more pressure at home. And what's that phrase? Someone said, you're not working from home, you're home working or something. I can't remember what it was, but I still for me, see that office being a, a fundamental part of a business culture if it's done properly. But let's hope no one just goes back to, was it Bloomberg or JP Morgan in London? As of this day, everyone's back Monday to Friday and nothing's changed. For God's sake, like what century are you stuck in? And what about you, Sandra? What do you think? I mean, are, are corporate offices, you know, Robert's addressed some of the smaller businesses and, and some, of the, some of the larger ones, but your corporate clients, are they thinking about when those leases lapse, are they going to change the size of their footprints? Is it going to go up or down? Yeah. So a lot of companies are looking at workplace optimization, which is essentially driving towards reduction and substantial reduction as a result. And so even with really conservative numbers, looking at 50% occupancy, which is pretty conservative um, because occupancy levels are significantly lower than that right now. But assuming that, you know, only half the people are coming in, that already presents a substantial reduction opportunity. I think the key is though really understanding the purpose of the office or the role that the office will play in that particular organization, which will be different from company to company. So again, depending on the industry, depending on you know, the type of interactions and things like that, there's always going to be some variance between one company and, and, and the other. I think the other thing too is the points that, that Robert made about having these different amenities and stuff available. Those are things that right now are well, there's a tone out there in the marketplace that it's gimmicky. It's a way to be able to dangle the carrot to bring people back. I really hope that it's not, that's not going to be what the driver is to bring people back to the office. I think that there's a much larger opportunity to really understand why people need office space. And I'm not necessarily pointing to traditional office space, but just a place to go to, to interact with their colleagues, to do work, to be productive, whatever. So that's really the key. And a lot of companies right now are really diving into understanding of the people that are coming into the office. What spaces are they using? Where are they in the office? Are they more in the meeting spaces and collaboration spaces, or are they going to their desks and just doing heads down work? In a nutshell, yes, when it comes to headquarters, I think the space will shrink, but we also have to keep in mind that decentralization of the office might mean the same amount of space, but just better distributed to address some of the pain points that are raised or that have been raised by the pandemic. So things like transit, for example, right? Is that, yeah, you can have all the great gimmicks in the office, but if people can't get to work because there's still concerns around transit and how they get to work, that's not really going to help the situation. Same thing with commuting, right? So the whole like nine to five basically forces the traffic patterns, which is, in my opinion, ridiculous. But again, it's this whole conversation around asynchronous working. And could that be something that could be adopted to change that, to make the commuting not be as painful as it has? 
And then finally, the, the dreaded office elevator. That's been a pain point for returning to the office because, yeah, you could, as a tenant, go in and have the greatest space, but there's still the logistics of how to get people in the office and then when they're in the office to actually get them to your floor. And until some of these issues and things have been resolved, I think you're still going to have that hesitation of people wanting to come back to the office. Yeah, I think that we're still in COVID in many parts of the world right now. So there's certainly health concerns to consider and and people's mental state around those. But if we think about post-COVID in health concerns, aren't as much of a concern anymore as they used to be. Although I think now going forward, when people have the snipples, they might not come into work, but yeah. still work from home instead of take the day off. But I think it's it's interesting what you guys, the perspectives you guys have brought today. And I think we can, we can agree that hybrid is a key word going forward. It is a two-way street, as Robert says. It needs to be a conversation between the employer and the employee. I certainly hope that values align and people join up and get on board with missions that they are pursuing together to impact the world in a positive way. As it goes with real estate, what I hear from both of you is that there will be a reduction in demand. There is questions to know whether, as we study this over the next coming months and years, whether that's a reduction overall in demand for, for the office space, or are people going to just reconfigure the offices to use them in different ways and they don't reduce their footprint? So that'll be an interesting conversation to have in the future. That is my recap. Okay, now it's time for the quick fire round. Quick questions, quick answers. We'll start, Robert, with you on the first one. Who inspires you in your industry? I have Baze Sharp, who does a lot of work for uh, female entrepreneurship and promoting women in the industry. And also Gabby Austin-Brown, who does a lot of work with DNI. I, I They inspire me every day. Brilliant. Yeah, I know Faye, she is absolutely inspiring. Thank you for that. Sandra, how about yourself? I'm a little bit all over the map when it comes to inspiration. For me, I've actually turned to things like biomimicry. I've turned to nature to look at how things happen in nature and how those things can apply in the real world. All right. Question number two, Robert, what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? Uh, I tend to veer Weirdly enough, into Twitter, uh, I tend to look at event manager blogs, Skiff, Mash Media. Uh, I quite like letting other people do the hard work and me just reading it in a few characters on Twitter, if I'm honest. Excellent. How about you, Sandra? Yeah, the same. I'm obviously on LinkedIn. I do follow your podcast, so I, I do get a lot of inspiration from there as well. But Twitter, some of the social media channels that are out there and various publications and articles that talk about this subject. Should we give a shout out to your podcast as well? Sure. Listen to Let's Get Real, uh, available on all of your favorite podcast channels. We'll put a link in the show notes below. And the last question, I'm going to stick with you, Sandra, and let Robert finish it up. Sandra, where is your favorite holiday destination or vacation destination? I'm a beach person. So anywhere where there's a beach and there's no offices around, nobody working, that's where you're going to find me. Beach with a laptop or beach without a laptop? If you're not going to work. without a laptop. Excellent. How about you, Robert? Your favorite holiday destination? It has to be uh, Shabtat in Croatia, which is just around the corner from Dubrovnik. First holiday with my wife. I got married there, take the kids there and do the same photo. I think I've been there eight times and I'm there next year, renewing my vows over 10 years. So Captain's part's part of the family. Wonderful. Croatia is great. I love the Adriatic Sea. It's so beautiful there. Well, thank you both for sharing your insights with us today. We wanted to have this debate, and I think it was a little bit of a debate, but I think we overlap and mostly agree on the overall gist of things, which is great. And I do appreciate where we did 
not necessarily agree. It was very respectful. We need more of that in society. Be sure to connect with both Sandra and Robert on LinkedIn. We'll put links to their profiles in the show notes below. And thank you for tuning in today. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. This podcast was produced by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out how we can help you with your podcast, simply email jason at apodcastcompany.com and check out our website at apodcastcompany.com.